0: Welcome to Three Little Things, a natural health podcast. We've created this space to help you positively navigate the world of holistic and natural wellbeing, where each week we will explore something new and dive into a diverse range of holistic health topics from all walks of life. As chiropractors, we're equally passionate about helping educate, share and empower you on your wellbeing journey. Created with you in mind, Three Little Things aims to bring you digestible topics and applicable tools and strategies to help you grow, thrive and live well. So let's dive in. Welcome back to
1: Three Little Things podcast and welcome to 2023. This is the first time Lily and I have sat down and recorded an episode in 2023, which is exciting. We've both had a wonderful break and some time off, which has been really exciting and we're hitting 2023 refreshed. So for those that are brand new to our podcast, my name is Sarah and I'm joined with my co-host Lily and we are both chiropractors on Sydney's Northern Beaches and this podcast was. I guess, created out of a hope to provide a resource to not only our patients, but people in our community and essentially around Australia as a way of just investing time back into themselves and learning more about health and how they can better or be a better version of them. And today's episode is no different. We have the wonderful Andrea here. For those that don't know, Andrea is an integrative chiropractor and women's health expert based in Perth. She is an incredible wealth of knowledge, and I personally have had the privilege of learning from her over the last couple of years in the women's health realm, and I'm really honoured and excited for her to be on our podcast today so that you guys can also learn from her. So welcome, Andrea. Andrea.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Um, Thanks for having me back. And this is also my first
1: podcast for the year as well. So it feels great. Yeah, back back to it. Hey, it's exciting. A new year. So I guess, Andrea, before we kind of kick it off, tell or give the audience something a little bit about you. Fun fact or what made you kind of dive into the women's health realm or something about you?
2: Oh, gosh. Okay. I always, when I'm put on the spot like that, I'm like, fun fact, what's interesting about me? And I can think of absolutely <laughs> nothing at all, um, as is always the case. But um, I think that the reason why I'm so incredibly passionate and probably obsessive about women's health, I think that it was always meant to be that way. Um, For me, I have four sisters, so I'm one of five girls. And, you know, I'm sure it's no different from for both of you. And for, you know, the people listening to that is that, we're always surrounded by women with all sorts of hormonal challenges or really serious chronic health issues that is not really taken care of in a meaningful way within the medical world. And we know that historically that women have been, you know, left out of, um, you know, health research, medical research and everything else just because we're too quote unquote complicated. Um, And I think that there's a really huge gap in women's health. And I see that presenting in practice every single day with women with horrific suffering and horrific symptoms that they are pretty much ignored within any other system or they're just told that, you know, maybe they're, they're hemorrhaging that they have every month when they have their period or they're really severe period pain that leaves them fainting or needing to be hospitalised is just because they've drawn the short straw. And I think that that is um, just so disempowering for women you know, I just started attracting all of these women with all sorts of different problems, um, similar to the things that I've just shared, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. So that's when I became like, just, you know, really needed to dive into it so much more. And I am, you know, like I said, just so incredibly passionate about the realm of women's health, because I know that for women, when you help them to get their health back, It just allows them to get on with whatever it is that they'll put on this planet to do and it helps them to serve that greater purpose for the planet. And I truly believe that that's how we change the world Um, and I think that women would do a better job of it than, you know, what's currently (laughs) happening. So, you know, there's always a a bigger purpose to it.
1: Yeah, I think we would both um, completely agree with everything you just said and likewise see plenty of these beautiful patients in our practice every single day. So, yeah, like I said, it's an honour to have you on our podcast and I'm really excited for our listeners to learn a little bit from you. And today's topic is menopause. And now this is a long awaited, very much requested episode from our listeners and from our patients in practice. So I am excited just to hear what you have to say. Where are we going to start? Awesome. You know,
2: dealing with menopause and perimenopause is actually one of my favorite subjects um, because I think that there's a big movement of women now going, okay, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do menopause badly. I don't want to suffer through 10 or 15 years of feeling like I don't know my body. So they're starting to be a little bit more proactive. They're starting to ask a few more questions, which I think is amazing. Whereas historically, and I think that this is also some of the reasons why we have the issues that we do today, but historically women were just told that as soon as you get to menopause, you will have horrific symptoms of, you know, hot flushes, night sweats, insomnia, cognitive decline, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy where the, you know, the the muscles of, of the vagina actually start to wear away. You know, you'll have absolutely no libido. You'll put on weight, you'll get fat, you'll lose your muscle tone and your bone density. And then it's just like a um, fast track to Alzheimer's and dementia, and then it's all over. Like that is <laughs> the culture around menopause, right? It's supposed to be horrible. It's the end of your youth. You're just a dried up, you know whatever <laughs> until it's all over and i think that that is just so horrific and traditionally in a lot of traditional cultures or and even eastern sort of cultures as well um and pretty much any other part of the world except for western culture um menopause is a time that's revered and you know there is more reverence and honoring of women as they age rather than just this idealism around youth like what we have sort of in in the western world so I think that we haven't really taught women well about what happens at menopause and also how good it can be. So for me, I'm 37. I have not got to that mountaintop that is menopause yet. However, I do know that when it happens that the news is good. (laughs) so I have no fear or concern about that whatsoever and I also know that my hormones from and for most women on average from about 35 onwards we sort of get the subtle changes of some hormonal shifts that's starting to prepare the body for perimenopause and perimenopause is this transition that goes for anywhere from 5 to 13 years and on average it starts for women around about 45 and that's where we see most of the big symptoms that we associate with menopause are actually happening during perimenopause. So menopause is simply just a retrospective diagnosis. So it it simply just means that you haven't had a menstrual period for 12 months. So from that point, then you are in menopause. It doesn't mean all of the symptoms that we referred to before. And most women, if they are going to have a hard time with it, it actually happens during that perimenopausal phase. And some of the symptoms that women classically get around this time is the first thing that normally happens is a shortening of the menstrual cycle. So instead of being sort of 28 to maybe 30 days, it might be coming more frequently. So, um, you know, initially it might be 24 days and then 21 days. So women will be having periods sort of every few weeks and they often become a lot heavier as well um, if they are going to have some sort of challenges with this. And that's what I see classically. So a shortening of the cycle, heavier and sometimes longer. So the time that they get between their periods actually shortens. So these women will feel like they're just constantly bleeding, which is often why they start to seek treatment in the first place and whether or not that is, you know, an endometrial ablation or some sort of other hormone um, sort of intervention. And sometimes they're also pushed into things like hysterectomies around this time as well. And the reason why the periods start to shorten is because the um, first hormone that's impacted by this transition of hormones is progesterone. And I can't remember if we talked about this on the, the first episode that we recorded, but progesterone is what I like to call nature's Valium. It's this beautiful, sedating, calming hormone that, is, that kicks in in the second phase of the menstrual cycle. And we only make progesterone if we ovulate. So as we start to get into perimenopause, um, we will often have an ovulatory cycles where we're not ovulating. So we're not making progesterone or as much progesterone. So therefore, those we're not getting that proper two-week or 14-day luteal phase in the menstrual cycle that's stabilizing that uterine lining. And that's also why women will feel like they are more emotionally fragile because they're not having that beautiful balancing effect of progesterone to buffer estrogen. And so oestrogen, when it's in balance, is amazing. Women will feel incredible on that. It has so many benefits for our body. But when it it goes unchecked with progesterone, so if if we're not making enough progesterone, then women will often feel really anxious. So it stimulates parts of the brain that make us on high alert all the time. So we'll fixate on things. We can't let things go. We feel really anxious. It also can be quite inflammatory for our system as well. We'll feel like we're retaining fluid or we're gaining weight. It has this very strong interaction with our thyroid as well, which is why it can sometimes change our metabolism too, which is why during this perimenopausal time, women will often experience that middle-aged spread if their hormones aren't imbalanced. That's what we call it, that middle-aged spread. <laughs> but it's not inevitable right? Mm -hmm. So these are all just signs and symptoms of hormonal imbalances. So when we start to go through this hormonal transition, the first thing that happens is progesterone decreases, which gives us heavier, more frequent periods with that relative increase in estrogen. So we get this estrogen excess for a period of time, which is what gives us a lot of those symptoms. We can also experience, you know, breast fullness, breast tenderness, breast cysts, um, an increase in fibroid growth, all of that sort of thing around that time as well. And then depending on the woman, will either get an increase or decrease in testosterone just depending on, on their sort of constitution. So that might make women, um, you know, all of a sudden break out again. They might experience some uh, hair growth in places where they're, they're not expecting it, particularly, you know, along the chin, the jawline, the upper lip, all of those sorts of things. Um, so when women experience these types of symptoms, they'll feel like they're going through puberty again. So it's almost like there's this huge, this really tumultuous time in a woman's life hormonally. And it is akin to that puberty because it is that transition as well. That's the sort of hormonal shift that happens around then. So you'll experience the shortening of the periods. Sometimes they'll get heavier. And again, for some women that can go on for a really, really long time, which can be absolute hell if their hormones aren't in balance. And then finally, it will be their last menstrual period. And then they'll have nothing for sort of 12 months. And then that is menopause, essentially. And on average, menopause starts around about 52-ish. And again, it's simply just, you know, it's the signal of 12 months from no period. So do you have any questions from anything that uh, I've sort of just blurted out at you there?
3: (laughs) No, no no questions. But I want to alert our um, listeners to go back to the previous episode by you, because that was such an amazing episode. I mean, it is an amazing episode and it kind of um, pins down what you're going to tell us about Mm. how to um, have an easier time because a lot of our audiences, Sarah will say, um, are around Sarah's age group, you know, so in their 20s and 30s. So, and we're also a natural health podcast, so we're not into sort of um, recommending synthetic hormones. Yeah. So it's almost like um, the beginning, middle and end, you know, I mean, not that the end's the end, yeah. but what can young women do leading yeah. up to perimenopause and then also giving our audience some idea what they can do um, during perimenopause and menopause, because it does sound like a train wreck, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, women will feel like they're losing their minds during perimenopause. They they feel completely disconnected from their body because they don't know what's going on and perimenopause has only just now been acknowledged as an actually significant transition in a woman's life, um, medically speaking as well. So it's only now being added into teachings at medical school and put into gynecology textbooks and those sorts of things. So I think it's no wonder women are so confused about this because no one really knew what it was, what's happening, because they're still getting their period. So they're not in menopause Mm. yet, right? But their hormones are just completely out of whack. And what are their options? And we'll definitely get into that as well. So one of the, um, Lily, you sort of just mentioned what can women do to try and make this transition really nice and easy. And there's a few key things that women can do to really nurture their bodies and nurture their hormones through this transition and leading into menopause. And some of these things are, you know, physical stuff that they can do and mindfulness, but I, I think it's also very much a cultural shift that has to happen for women, um, which I don't think we do a very good job of in the Western world. So let me start with um, one of the secrets to sailing through perimenopause and menopause is to nurture your adrenals. So let me say that again. Um, You have to nurture your adrenals for hormonal balance through this time. And that is true for any woman Know who has any kind of hormonal imbalance, we always need to make sure that you know their nervous system um, is working really, really well, that they've got good stress reduction techniques so that they're not constantly in that fight or flight state and they're running on you know cortisol or adrenaline or whatever it might be. Um, But we need that balance in our adrenals to be able to just you know get us through the day. So when our you know essentially our ovaries take a little break and they don't stop working but their function changes the part of our body that takes over the production of all of those hormones, including estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone is your adrenal glands. Some of those hormones are also made from our peripheral tissue. So our our fatty tissue as well. And if we're holding more weight, that can be a little bit more problematic, but also at the other end of the scale, if we're too underweight, that can be quite challenging for our system as well. So there is that sweet spot where we need to have a little bit of body fat, um, not too much, not too little. It's that sort of Goldilocks effect for women, um, especially going through this timeframe so our adrenals do have the capacity to take over all of that hormonal production and keep us feeling balanced if it has the capacity to do that whereas if it's always preoccupied with you know making so much cortisol and pumping that out all day long and trying to rob Peter to pay Paul essentially by using things like progesterone and everything else to upcycle to make more stress hormones then you know we don't have any hope of of keeping those sex hormones really nice and balanced So whatever meaningful stress reduction techniques work for you is what's going to be important. And that might also not just be the stresses in your life, like, you know, taking on too much or um, trouble at home or, you know, constantly rushing and those sorts of things, which women tend to always do and always put so much more on their plate than what they can possibly handle. Mm. But it could also be other stresses on our system that create that same physical response as well. So whether or not it's um, unmediated inflammation, if there's, um, you know, unidentified infections going on, if there's some autoimmune stuff, uh, you know, there can be other health reasons why our body is making these stress hormones, um, you know, at different rates. So we sort of need to do a full systems check to make sure that our adrenals are working really well. So that's one part of it. (laughs) Um, I also think at the moment that uh, just as the themes Mm. with all things with women's health is that our lifestyle and our culture towards health is not conducive for hormonal balance. And one of the things that menopause and perimenopause teaches women is that they cannot live for anybody else. They have to start living for themselves. So there's this big emotional shift And theme that constantly comes up that when they're rushing around for everybody else, when they're prioritizing everybody else and draining their tank for everybody else, their symptoms are so much worse (laughs) because, again, we have to be nurturing those adrenals. This is the time of a woman's life where she has to put herself first. And this is something that I talk to my patients about every single day, that this is the time to essentially reinvent yourself because traditionally kids would be out of the house by now, you know, women in their maybe late forties, early fifties, kids would be long gone. They can start going, Oh, you know, what do I want the next sort of Thirty years or so of my life to look like, and then they can start making that happen, or they would be starting to slow down and just doing the things that really bring them joy. Whereas, because you know we're having babies later, um, the things that women are putting on their plate and the pressure that we have in sort of modern life, it's so different. So women have you know five full-time jobs every single day with kids and partners and you know whatever else it might be. So they've got nothing left for themselves. So this is absolutely the time that they have to prioritize their own, you know whatever it might be, their own passions, their own career, their own, you know, whatever it is, and also their own joy. Um, and I find that that is one of the key things that women really, really struggle with. Okay, so those are two really critical things there is the nurturing their adrenals and putting themselves first to create a shift. In how they deal with perimenopause and menopause.
3: So this is really nicely done for us because um, you've just mentioned the trite of health without really mentioning it. So yeah. that's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> I love that. And also uh one of our previous episodes covered inflammation. So, you mm. know, bingo. Um, but the cultural shift one is a really interesting um discussion. Probably a bit hard to have in a short uh, mm. podcast like this. But one of these days, Andrew would love to get you back so you can actually um Tell us more about that. But it sounds like the uh, approach really has to be concierged because on this podcast, you're not, you're not going to say take 20 milligrams of, you know, whatever this or, you know, 10 milligrams mm-hmm. of blah, blah. They really do need to go and come and see someone like you or their um, health practitioner who mm-hmm. is off that ilk to have it assessed properly because you did mm-hmm. mention those three hormones progesterone estrogen and testosterone mm-hmm. and i was a bit confused before about um the ratios but now i see progesterone goes down and estrogen relatively looks higher but also goes up or does it relatively look higher
2: um it's always That's relative, relative. Yeah, it's always relative mm. to other things. So, one hormone doesn't just act independently. Uh, initially, we see the reduction in progesterone, which with this relative excess in estrogen, and then eventually that will then decline. Um, and the types of estrogen that then take over are a little bit different. So, we'll, st- we'll, make less and less of estradiol, which is that E2, which is the main estrogen that we make from our ovaries, and we'll start making more E1. Um, So it just the, the types of estrogens change a little bit, but then once we're in menopause, obviously we have lower levels of those just sort of across the board. And that is normal. That's what's meant to happen for our body. That's just a normal transition that happens, which doesn't necessarily mean that we need to go painting ourselves with the exact same amounts of hormone replacement therapy. For every single woman, um, and if you want to get into that, we can we can sort of touch on on HRT and um, and that sort of thing. That would be helpful because I know that's always a question that comes up for me as well. Obviously, there's lots of different options for helping to decrease the symptoms that are associated with perimenopause and menopause, and I think that's important to distinguish their symptoms. Of you know, an imbalance there. And traditionally all women, when it, they started to have these changes were put on hormone replacement therapy. You know, there was a, a thinking or a thought process that everybody needed it. Just like, you know, sunlight and water, you need hormone replacement therapy. And this was given to everybody at the same dose and at the same time you know, the same prescription to all women, irrespective of their family history, their risk factors, their estrogen metabolizing capacity, their detoxification pathways, their body weight, their body composition, you know, they were just all painted with the same brush. And then because uh, we thought that HRT was just the The best thing ever, there was a thought process that it decreased the risk of heart disease so significantly that we thought all women should be on it. And a lot of doctors were really dogmatic about this as well. If you didn't take your HRT, then I won't see you. So there was a big study that came out um, in the early nineties called the Women's Health Initiative. And it was the biggest study of its kind where they took hundreds and thousands of women and they put them on um, hormone replacement therapy uh, and at the time it was something like um, Primpro or Primarin which was made from the urine of pregnant mares, so pregnant horses um, is how they made that, that synthetic oestrogen and they would also use Provera which was a synthetic type of progesterone which also has its sort of complications as well. But anyway, um, and they wanted to do this study over a really, really long time to see the positive health benefits of using HRT but then in 2002 they had to stop it and I think this was only after about three years because the and I could have that wrong it could be a little bit longer but it was it was much shorter than what they expected because women were dying. So their increased risk of breast cancer, heart disease, and stroke rose so significantly that they mm-hmm. had to stop it. Um, and the main problem was now that we can reflect back on that and we've got much more experience is that it's because they gave the same dose and the same, you know, essentially same prescription to every single woman, no, no matter their baseline age or anything else. And some women did really, really well on it. But because of um, what was obviously happening in the study, they pretty much took all women off HRT Um, and so some women were doing really well and then all of a sudden it wasn't available and they were taking everyone off it and then they were sort of back to suffering with the symptoms they had and there was no real other options for them at that time. And I try not to be dogmatic about, you know, don't take HRT or anything like that. We've learned a lot of lessons from the Women's Health Initiative and we know that some women do really well on it, but we have to make sure that their body can use it safely Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know it's it's used at a dose that's also appropriate for that woman, and I don't think that um, some of these considerations are made because a lot of women do have some really serious family histories that need to be taken into account. We need to make sure that they can actually metabolize and detoxify estrogen in a safe way, and there's ways for testing that as well to make sure that they will be a good candidate for you know some sort of um, support if required. And often 98% of the time we can get women to be really beautifully balanced without the need of that. And there's always some women who, who do prefer um, HRT and we, and we try and use like the absolute lowest possible dose, like almost like a little dusting of, of something to um, reduce their symptoms, but it's not the be all and end all. And it's not the first point of call, and it needs to be monitored really, really closely, in my opinion, as well. Mm. And that's like the very last resort, in my opinion.
3: And that's a really balanced um, answer. I love that. Um, and do you have sort of a time frame? Because we're talking about perimenopausal, and um, do you feel that at some point it's not necessary anymore? Um, When people reach full menopause?
2: It tends to, we know that the risks increase with age. So the longer that a woman is on HRT for the higher the risks, Um, but also when they're given it at a later age, also the higher the risks. The work that I always like to do is trying to have a look at the themes or the messages that the body is giving a woman before she gets to perimenopause um, because how well you do your period is giving you really good clues about what perimenopause and menopause is going to be like for you. And we've got about 400 chances to get it right, <laughs> you know, depending on the number of kids we have and everything else. So um, we already we can already see and if we take a really, really good health history, we're already going to know what we can sort of predict for this woman um, so that we can start to make some, you know, targeted lifestyle changes and dietary changes or whatever it might be to help them in advance. But then uh, I've totally digressed from your question. There. Well, it just was well, um,
3: really? um, the one. The, well, it's just like the, the, um, the beginning, middle, and end, and oh, that's yes. why I did my pediatric masters because a lot of these things, young women who come to see you, as you say, you can actually, um, you know, give them a crystal ball almost mm-hmm. by yeah. yeah. So yeah. you are definitely using well the word I used before, concierging the approach um, into mm-hmm. this time of one's life. But do you feel that once somebody reaches full menopause, do they still need a bit more uh, support with with different chemistry, natural products?
2: Yeah, look, in my opinion, um, I think so. I think once they're in menopause, then we want to make sure that they're not still going down that um, sort of downward spiral of experiencing the hormone withdrawal of things like estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. So, we want to make sure that we're keeping their system balanced for life so that they're not getting that huge bone loss, that huge bone reduction. They're not getting that poor muscle mass, um, but they're also not experiencing things like the cognitive decline that can sometimes happen with that change in, in the estrogen status or an increased risk of heart disease because of that reduction of estrogen testosterone as well. So all of these hormones are obviously not just for you know sex hormone requirements, but they have these far-reaching effects for our whole system, um, which is obviously why when we get to perimenopause and menopause that their health status can change quite significantly. So I do think that it's not just a process that stops at menopause. So once you've, you know, hit the calendar 12-month date from your last period, you can stop, <laughs> you know, worrying about your health. I think that it, it only sort of continues or increases with age, but it just might be the things that we do that change a little bit um, because their system is different as well. And from a chiropractic perspective too, we see a dramatic increase in things like scoliosis when a woman gets into menopause. Menopause, because of the change in bone mineral density that can happen with that estrogen shift, um, that's something that we need to be really aware of as well and just be monitoring with our patients to make sure that we're keeping them really stable and balanced too. Like I said, there's these far reaching effects through their whole system. One of the things that I love um, doing with my women in menopause is getting them to do things like weight bearing exercise, like strong, powerful weight bearing exercise, so that we can really um, stress those bony structures and maintain that strong bone density because with menopause, there is a 70% reduction in bone mineral density within the 20 years following the onset of menopause. So that sounds really significant, but it is a Mm. normal thing that happens. But if a woman starts menopause in her 40s, like, you know, early 40s or even in her early 30s, then that's significant. So that is really going to shift her potential quality of life if we're not sort of getting her to do these things. That's going to maintain that adequate, you know, bone and muscle mass and everything else. So that's just an example.
3: Well, a few weeks ago, Sarah's partner, my son, uh, Exercise physiologist, mm-hmm. he did a a couple of seminars on osteoporosis, didn't he? And yeah. the actual possibility of reversing it. Yeah. So it was yeah, all the latest research.
1: That was that's a really yeah.
3: cool concept.
1: Yeah, super cool. Um and I was gonna ask too, is that also something that you would recommend your say young women in their 20s that are doing as a preventative thing? Is, yeah, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Because we know that our maximum bone mineral density potential we sort of start to get a little bit of a stagnation of that in our early 20s. So everything that we're doing sort of leading up to that is going to help our maximal um, potential, but it doesn't stop. This is not a static process and we can continually build stronger, better bones just by the activities that we're doing. And we know that um, we need to stress them a little bit for that to happen by doing things like weight-bearing exercise that challenges those bony structures um, and we know that that's one of the best ways to to sort of improve that. Obviously there's diet and lifestyle things as well, you know, adequate vitamin D, magnesium, everything else um, will also help that 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 good proper bone turnover. And there's a very strong hormonal component to that too, but a lot of this is within our control. Yeah, mm,
1: very cool. Yeah, and you started chatting before as well, and all of this kind of links back, but we have, yeah, approximately 400 chances to get our cycle right before yeah. heading into that sort of perimenopausal and menopausal time. So Um, I mean, there's lots of cool things that we can do in those early years or in those 400 chances to make sure that we are doing menopause as well as we possibly can.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that would be any kind of symptoms that you experience um, that are, you know, we would associate with hormonal imbalances. So the easiest time to get that right is, you know, obviously when you're cycling, Mm. I find the easiest thing is, you know, dealing with teenage girls because even though, again, that's like a really challenging time hormonally um, for women, if we can get it right then, then we're literally setting this girl up for hormonal balance for her entire life, which is, you know, just bliss. But, Mm. you know, if you're getting, irregular periods, short or long cycles, heavy, painful periods. Um, if there's symptoms of endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, adenomyosis, thyroid dysfunction, any of those sorts of things are clues that, or, you know, a, a fairly obvious clues that there are big hormonal imbalances happening that need to be sort of taken care of. And especially if a woman is not ovulating, then I would you know, be really closely looking at why that is the case um, and we want to just make sure that we're not getting that premature ovarian failure or premature ovarian um, sort of insufficiency where that could hint to an early onset of menopause. Yeah, so, well, as yeah. you
3: said um, in your previous episode, um, your period is actually one of your v- women's vital signs, you know, and that's such exactly. a really cool way of looking at it and mm-hmm. nothing should hurt, it should be seamless and and so on. So, But I feel like sometimes our audience um is A very particular audience, so in chiropractic, we have sort of three categories of people we have this um CX, the close X, um, the open Y's, and the um, the open X's. So the CX's are the ones who are not going to listen to this podcast at all because sure. it's just too hard, and then yeah. the open Y's are saying, Give me, give me, give me, you know, the more you can, the better. And the and the um, close Y's are the ones who are going, Oh, I'm on the fence, what yeah. do you have? Yeah, so all this information is going to go down really well, I think. Mm. And when uh, when
2: you're sort of talking about the those people that are sort of on the fence, like w- what do you have? Like you know, give give me some some solutions, right? Or what can I do sort of right now? And I always sort of put this into a few different categories. So first and foremost is obviously making sure that you've got that um, you know balance within your nervous system. Um, we've got really good stress reduction techniques and everything else. So that is always king. Next uh, is I um, always look at really good nutritional medicine for women. And if they're experiencing things like um, hot flashes and the other um, symptoms that we associate with perimenopause and menopause, then um, some key things that I would get them to do is first and foremost is get them off stimulants, including coffee. And, um, you know, I, I'm not very popular when I tell women that, (laughs) but we know it's been shown to lower estrogen levels. So lower the good estrogen that we want. And that's really consistent and significant. Um, And they do feel a really big shift with that. And the next thing, um, totally the fun place is alcohol. There's this time in a woman's life where they just cannot get away with it and this is it. And the longer I work with women, the more I realise is that alcohol is a young woman's game. Like she can get away <laughs> with a lot more than what she can um, during now, um, this sort of uh, time frame. And any perimenopausal or menopausal woman will tell you if they have a glass of wine at night their sleep is terrible and they'll experience more hot flushes that night. And again, it's because it raises the bad, um, you know, estrogen, but it also increases our risk factors for absolutely everything. So if there's a time to really cut down or abstain from alcohol, now is the time. It doesn't mean that you can't ever have it, but let's really look at those practices. And then the other thing is gluten. And um, this is not just a fad. what we find really consistently is that gluten again um, raises the essentially the the bad estrogen. And there's a really strong link between gluten sensitivity, ovarian function and gut function as well. So it's going to change those things. The other thing that I try and encourage women to do is really increase their fiber. So aiming for a minimum of two cups of veggies per meal or about 35 grams of fiber, a minimum per day. So again, that's about two cups of veggies per meal because fiber is both going to help the detoxification and the processing of any of those hormones that we want to try and clear, but also is essentially one of the foundational building blocks for our hormones in the first place that's synthesized in our gut. So if we can include some really great things like fiber, really good quality protein, even including some whole soy, so things like um, tempeh, miso, um, you know, those sorts of whole fermented soy can have a really lovely effect on estrogen. Even things like flax seeds can be really, really helpful. And my favourite practice that women can do to help to decrease hot flushes is simply just some controlled breathing. So breathing, uh, I normally teach them um, like either box breathing or parasympathetic breathing. So breathing in for seven, hold um, in for seven, out for 11, or the box breathing in for five, hold for five, out for five, hold for five, and so on. That has been shown to reduce hot flushes by 40% if done for 10 minutes a day. So these things are free and so easy and so simple. It just requires that consistency. So that is really, really good you know, evidence to show that even just something like some controlled breathing will help to reduce hot flushes significantly. Mm. Um, so mm. those are just a few little nutrition and sort of, I guess, um, practice tips that they can do to try and help to ease some of those symptoms.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, wow. I just think this episode is going to be so well received and there's yeah there's some I don't know about you Lily, but there's a lot of people I'm thinking of right now that need to listen to this so well, it's not an old person podcast actually for the young person really yeah so well to. and I think also too and Andrew you touched on this right at the beginning when you were talking about why you got into women's health but I think it gives people hope essentially or it gives women hope as well mm-hmm. that they don't have to suffer and I think that's what's exciting about women's health and exciting about podcasts like this episode mm-hmm. People can take away things that they can go and do straight away um, and they can just think and shift like we were talking about, shift their mindset around what menopause and perimenopause is going to look like for them. Which yeah. I think, yeah, being able to give that hope to someone or to a woman is, yeah, is exciting and it's such a gift. I think yeah. and it's
3: never too late because I think you know sometimes we have that sort of um, oh crap moment when we arrive at the exam and just go oh crap we didn't do the study for mm-hmm. that. But oh. life isn't like that. Life, yeah. um, you know, is full of second chances. You know, yeah. so yeah. I mean, people who have not been taking care of their health health, you know, until their forties. Start now, I mean, mm-hmm. or 50s or 60s. There's yeah. always something that can be done. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Good. Excellent. Yeah,
2: I love that. And you're absolutely right, that hope that women can have, that this is not the end of their life, you know, this is not... Um, the end of their vitality by any stretch of the imagination. This really, really can be what I call the springtime of their life, the best mm. time of their life as well. And I was taught and I, I can't remember the specifics of this, but there was um, I was taught in my postgrad by one of my lecturers that in one of the indigenous cultures um, in Australia, they see menopause as when a woman can hold all of the wisdom within themselves, then they stop menstruating. Whereas mm-hmm. until that point, then they sort of gain some of that wisdom, but they they sort of lose some sort of each month, and that's part of the the lessons that our period and that hormonal shift throughout the month gives us. But once we can sort of maintain all of that within ourselves, then then we stop our period. And I really love that theme um, mm. that this is the transition for a woman into you know her. Uh, time to then really be wise and to be nurtured and to nurture others and um but herself first, obviously, I think that's
3: really, and important. um stop stop adding to landfill um until we need nappies, but never mind, um oh God. And- <laughs>
2: No, yeah, sorry, but, but hopefully, um, also,
3: hopefully not. <laughs> but also, just quickly, um, on a point that you made before, and that's the um, the adrenal system, and what is um, often a a wolf in sheep's clothing is the um, the whole thyroid story, because a lot of women who have adrenal burnout, um, turn up with you know really decreased um, thyroxin levels and so on, and it's too easy just to treat that. Whereas there's a much deeper underlying problem. I mean, the, I'm I'm a case in point, a case study of one, but of many. So I think it was great that you made the point earlier on about weight gain and thyroid and so on. But not to be hoodwinked by, um, it's a thyroid problem. It's actually mm. far deeper than that. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Mm. And the thyroid is a slave to your adrenal glands. Um, so it's function is so tightly regulated by things like cortisol and everything else, but also the other hormones that come up. And I've lost count of how many women I've seen who are in perimenopause with this new diagnosis of hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's hypothyroidism that also tends to happen after their second child as well, particularly if those kids are close together because of just the stress on their system. Um, and that's not a coincidence. And the, Practice within Western medicine or the treatment for that is simply just putting them on thyroxine then for the rest of their life. So again, that is still hormone replacement therapy that they will then be required for the rest of their life. And I think monitoring thyroid function and monitoring things like their metabolic function and everything else along the way, just to make sure that there's no signs of dysfunction that are coming up and obviously nurturing the adrenals in the first place um, is really key to keeping things balanced because I think we're definitely seeing like almost an epidemic of hypothyroidism at the moment. I'm sure you guys are seeing that too.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, I guess that kind of wraps us up and brings us to the end of the podcast. And Andrea, I didn't warn you, but hopefully you remember from last time, we like to finish the episode with three little things that, you know, we can kind of take away from the episode. So do you want to hit us with your, I guess, three little things from this episode?
2: Okay. So my three top tips or my three little things for sailing through perimenopause and menopause with ease is nurturing your adrenals which means you know putting yourself first um prioritizing you and your own self-care adding in um, some fiber so two cups of veggies per meal so i think that's one of a really really powerful thing that women can do and then the other thing is the control breathing Uh, So those three things are going to make a really, really big difference. The first one is the hardest, (laughs) but the most powerful.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you so much, Andrea. We really appreciate your time. I know our listeners are going to absolutely love this. Ladies, thanks so much again. My pleasure. Until next
0: time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Thanks, guys. A quick disclaimer, these episodes are not intended to replace help, treatment or advice from your healthcare professionals. The information in today's podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not designed to diagnose or treat any conditions. This is just a friendly reminder that we do not know you or your child or those around you and therefore do not know your specific needs. Please seek guidance from your healthcare professionals surrounding your concerns.